Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Hey, I've got to say, thank you for your feedback on our podcast over the last few months. It's been sensational. Thanks for the positivity. Thanks for the odd little bit of negativity. It keeps us on our toes. Tell all your mates, subscribe to the podcast so you get notified every time that a new episode goes live. Now, my guest this week is on a very select list. He is a Bathurst 1000 winner in 2017 with Erebus Motorsport, Luke Yulin. Now, here on part one, we talk about lots of things. We talk about his lost main game opportunities with Steve Ellery and WPS Racing, a story not many people know. He talks about racing with his dad, the bear, that is Kent Yulden. His job with Dougal McDougal that really led to the rest of his racing career. His Bathurst 1000 debut with Larry Perkins' team. How he took a Holden Astra to an Australian Championship. His time in the DBS, now known as Super 2. His first podium in the main game at Sandown in 2003 with Steve Ellery. Helping Russell Ingle win the V8 Supercar title as his co-driver for Stone Brothers Racing and his time at Ford Performance Racing. Stay tuned for part two. We talk about winning co-driver races in supercars, his time at Brad Jones Racing with Fabian Coulthard and following Fabian across to DJR Team Penske. And then, of course, that magic day at the mountain in 2017 when Luke and David Reynolds won the great race with Erebus, having thought before that that his supercar career was over. We'll tackle the National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions with Luke and also subject him to the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. When I say subject, it wasn't bad. It was really quite good. Now, I chatted to Luke earlier this week over a Zoom call from his home on the Gold Coast in Queensland, and I tell you what, we covered some serious ground. Here we go. Buckle up. It's time to start part one of Luke Yulden on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. Luke Yordam, 2017 Bathurst 1000 champ, former supercars driver, but long-time supercars driver. Uh, welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. Thank you, mate. It's awesome to be here. I've listened to podcasts and I've always wanted to be on one to tell my story, I guess. So here we are. Well, you are going to tell your story on this episode, no doubt. I've got a page full of notes. Uh, Our V8 Sleuth followers have come up with some amazing questions and there is so much to talk about with your career because you've driven so many cars, you've driven for some great teams, you've achieved a lot in various categories. But you threw out something recently to me on Instagram that I thought, ooh, this is a good one that I've never heard. And we like to delve into the topics that have never really been spoken about before. And one of the things that is, um, and I'm sure it will, it's an annoying thing to you, but in a way I think it's a badge of honour as well, that you did 20 years of endurance racing in supercars. You never got a full-time drive. But the fact that you kept on getting drives told you uh, and told everyone that you were a damn good driver. But there was a full-time opportunity somewhere along the line that there was even a contract signed by the sound. You must now reveal all to the V8 Sleuth faithful. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's probably been like a genuine maybe three or four opportunities to go main game. And and a lot of them happened in 04, 05 as well. So I, I felt like 04 was when I obviously finished uh, second to Andy Jones development series at that point um, on a count back. But we didn't really have the car going well until the end of the year. But anyway, long story short, I felt like I was driving really well in 04. Um, obviously with, with Ellery, Super Cheap uh, was a sponsor. And we were looking at going to two cars, actually, believe it or not, in, in 05. So... Um, we were well and truly along the track with that. So I think uh, Bruce Ellery had even ordered the chassis from BHAG, who was actually building the chassis back then. So that was my first genuine opportunity. We're going to go full-time, two-car, super-cheap team in 05 with Steve Ellery Racing. And that was that was locked away, basically. Um, and then super-cheap went Melbourne. They went uh, with, with Murphy's. And uh, it was uh, that was disappointing, obviously. So... 
that was the first opportunity, one and truly gone. What do I do now? Yeah, all right. And and again, I felt like I was driving really well. Uh, and then at that point, WPS actually gave us a call. And and Ian Wally Walburn was a previous engineer at Ellery's. He was there, put my name forward, and got a got a phone call from from um, from Craig Gore from WPS saying, "Mate, we 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 want you to." Uh, come and steer for us next year. Uh, there was no tests involved. There was no shootouts involved. Um, I met him in a, in a, in a hotel in Melbourne, top of, Spring, top of Spring Street there. Um, met him, he liked me, and a contract was on, on my doorstep basically a week later. And, and it was actually two contracts back then. So for him, it was a contract for driving, which was about this thick, yeah? And also a contract for, you know, the, the PR type stuff, which was also this thick. It wasn't a lot of money. It was It was actually, yeah, I mean, I was just basically doing it for the opportunity. Yeah, all right. So, um, and then there was, uh, as part of that massive big contract, was uh, an out clause, I guess, or a cooling off period. And about a day before the cooling off period basically was due to expire, um, yeah, they said, you, you're out. So, uh, and, and disappointingly, I didn't get a phone call from Craig. It was from, I think he's PA or someone like that, someone within the company. So, uh, we're exercising our option to, um, to not take you and so yeah so again that was that was devastating as well so this was Sorry. late 2004 4 2005 and yeah you must be thinking oh fantastic i've got an opportunity my foot's cracked open a door here and then yep. they've closed the door straight back on your foot yeah, it was heart-wrenching because I, I actually moved back to Melbourne. So I'm originally from Melbourne. I'd been previously living in, in the Gold Coast with, with Ellery's when I was racing up there. Came back in 04 for various reasons. And then it meant obviously going back uh, to Queensland for, for WPS. So it, it meant a, a massive big life change again. Um, and, and that commit was, was, commitment was pretty huge. And, and, and to have it yeah, pulled un, underneath you was, was, uh, was devastating. And, and, and it was Craig Baird eventually got the drive, my mate, my mate Bairdo. And um, which, ironically, like a, a year later, he did it again for me in Carrera Cup, which we can go back and, and talk about a little bit later on as well. Some of this. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, so obviously the end of 04 was, was a scramble. Um, I lost two drives in, in, in basically two months. Uh, and then lucky enough, I got the lifeline with Stone Brothers, which, to be honest, was was fantastic opportunity to get the job with Russell Engel. And, and obviously 05, we, we helped him win the championship. We will cover off on that part of the topic. There's so many things. Yeah. My list here, I normally spend 20 minutes writing a note sheet before I do these interview chats, but um, it took me about 40 minutes for you because there's been so many elements, I guess partly because in the last 20, I've known you for 20 years, which is scary, yeah. the Formula 4 days, and there's been a lot of stop-offs along the way. So take me right back to the start. Obviously, the Yildon family is really well-known. Um, your dad, Kent, production car racing and... Tirana's before. I remember the Red Falcon going to Sandown back in the day. Yeah. He was winning the national titles. Your uncle Brett's been in racing for so many years as well. Was this just a case that this was what you were always going to do or was there ever an alternative career pathway that was plotted for you? Never alternative. I, ever since I could walk, I remember wanting to obviously be a race car driver. I, I've got two brothers and a sister and, and they never wanted to go that path, luckily. So it was just me who got, got the bug. Um, so obviously, yeah, the, the, the interest comes from, from dad. It's, it's our, our family's been always about cars. Um, you know, my sister's actually born first weekend of October and, and historically oh, that's always that's <laughs> Yeah. So I remember as a really young kid, you know, dad and I trying to watch Bathurst, you know what I mean? And, and mum trying to organize a party for my sister. It's all ugly. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, it's always ever what I've always ever wanted to do. Um, didn't actually go the karting route though, which is probably unusual. But uh, I was in a race car at 15, and it had my own. We lived on some property, had had a car when I was 11, had go karts, motorbikes, all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, probably went a slightly uh, different route. Tell me about. Um, I remember back in the day that they used to always nickname your. Is your dad's nickname was the Bear? What was the bear. He had the big beard, or what was the reason there? Yeah, pretty much. He, he, Yogi Bear is his nickname, so he, he abbreviated it to the Bear, and it just yeah, he's always had a beard uh, ever since I can remember. I think he shaved it off twice in my life. Uh, the first time, I think I ran away and hid when I was little. Uh, the second was a little bit older, but uh, yeah, the, the old Bear he, it certainly suits the the hair. That's for sure. He needs it. He needs to cover up that face. <laughs> I can't remember. I was trying to find back through the the files 
a chance where you guys have driven together. And I think one of the, I'm, I'm not sure if there was many, but one of them was one of those Procar Sandown 500s where you drove yep. it at R8 Balcony. It was 2001 when Procar ran, uh, provided the field for the, the rebirth of the Sandown 500. Was there any other opportunities that you drove together or was, was that the only chance? No, that was, that was the only chance. And, and, and Dad was really, really good at uh, looking after brakes. And in those cars, that's what you needed to do. So I, I think I managed to, you know, I, I was driving supercars by then, Formula 4, where you don't have to worry about brake condition or looking after them at all. So I'm pretty sure I gave the car back to him with no brakes. And I think he must have done 250Ks with uh, using the handbrake and all that sort of stuff. He was pretty adept at it, though. Uh, once a production car racer, always a production car racer, Luke. I, I can tell you a funny story about I won because he obviously drove the Falcon, and and that year I, I got uh, the, the factory, I guess if you like, at Astrodeal through Holden. I was going to talk about that too. Yeah, so we're in the same race, and I remember at Phillip Island, everyone sort of got the shits with us because Dad would actually tow me down the straight with the Falcon behind, you know, in the Astrodeal tow to try and get another couple of couple of tens. <laughs> that was classic. Much thicker than manufacturer of water. It is very, very clear. Hey, yeah. um, you're rare, like you just said before, and I wanted to ask you about this. Karting wasn't really a, a, a pathway that you went through like probably 95% of people who get to the level that you've got to in the sport. What was yeah. the first race car that gave you your first competition taste of racing? So first competition was a Mazda RX2 Coupe. Oh, and nice. I wish I still, yeah, I wish I still had that car. It'd be worth a fortune now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those things just, so that was in uh, Victoria Road Reg. So my first race was at Phillip Island. Uh, I've been doing sprint races when I was 15 at that point. So I've done a few laps um, around most of the Victorian tracks. So uh, yeah, I mean, the car had no power. It was, I, I was nowhere in the race, but uh, that was my first taste, yeah. And then I think we pretty soon recognised that we needed to go Formula Ford. And I guess we didn't go the karting route. There's probably a couple of different reasons. Uh, Dad was obviously busy doing his own thing. We had obviously a pretty reasonably big family trying to spread the time across. So Dad didn't have the time to, to take me to go-kart races 40 weekends a year like most other sort of kids or, or, or guys my age did, unfortunately. So not that I didn't want to, it's just that the opportunity wasn't there for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm disappointed about it a little bit because it, obviously I'm giving away a lot of experience to, to my peers at that point, but um, I felt like I, I went pretty, pretty pretty well having not done it, that's for sure. Uh, so the, the first place I met you would have been 2000, which was Formula Ford National Series in the Magal, the Aloe Quench Magal from memory, yep. the, the Blue 53, I think it was. Yes. Uh, from memory. So was it working as a mechanic that got you into the enclave of, of Dougal McDougal and the Magal team because didn't wasn't there a type when you were a younger kid I think I did a bit of homework for this one so as a 15 year old you were pumping petrol then you ended up at a, a, a suspension um, business from memory as a younger bloke as well and then yep. the Magal opportunity yep. was kind of the the next one that, that took you the next step. Yeah that was an interesting time I I, I guess going back um, it was we what started it all, I guess, was Adelaide Grand Prix '93, and I'd always been a, a, a you know a supercar man, like a, a you know a V8 guy. So Bathurst was the was the main thing for me. I wanted to stay in Australia, go V8 racing. Um, going to Adelaide in '93 and watching Senna, watching these Formula One cars like pulling gears, where like a supercar would be well and truly on the brakes. I thought this is me. I, I got to do this. You know what I mean? So the focus shifted maybe towards going obviously the open wheeler route, trying to trying to shift off to, to Europe and that sort of stuff, like most of us try and do. Um, so from then on, we, we tried to go Formula Ford as much as we could, and uh, we didn't actually own one at that point. So we used to hire one of Dougal McDougal and, and, and Peter McDougal. So that's how I met those guys. And coming from well, not not a lot of money, we actually sort of begged, borrowed, and steal, and 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 stole. I should say, there's no such thing as steal. What did you um, steal? <laughs> I'm not Russell Engel. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we, we met them, and where I could, I could, I'd do a state round or two, but, but those guys were the, were the guys that supplied the cars, and we got a pretty good relationship with them. So at that point, I probably I was at a bit of a crossroads as well, I guess. Uh, what, what do I do next? I, I almost started a, an apprenticeship uh, because I had to get, get a, a real job, you know what I mean? So, um, And just as I was about to start the schooling, um, I got a phone call from Dougal McDougal saying, look, 
we need someone to come and run the go-kart shop, prepare our formula Fords. You know, you've got a mechanical background, blah, blah, blah. So I, and, and, and mum, mum was the one who said, look, you need to follow your heart. Uh, and, and lucky I, I followed that advice. And, and if I didn't actually do that, my, my, I wouldn't have been racing pretty much. So that, that was a big thing. 2000 was a damn good class yeah. of Formula Ford. Yeah. When I think back, uh, Rick Kelly, yeah. uh, uh, Leanne Ferrier, now Tanda, yeah. uh, yeah. the late Stuart McColl, uh, Will Davison popping up doing the local Victorian rounds. Yeah. Uh, I've probably missed one or two others in there, but uh, the field. Will Power. Uh, uh, Will, oh, yeah, Will Power, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The class of Formula Ford every year in the late 90s, early noughties was amazing, fantastic. Yeah, it was an awesome time, and, and, and I'm so lucky for that opportunity. So, 99, I mechanic for, for Greg Ritter. And I didn't do any racing that year other than the, 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 the two races at the back end of that stuff. So I, I actually, through, through the course of 99, we, we built up like an old Miguel chassis uh, and, and I took it to Bathurst and won the support races 99 and also won the, the championship of Phillip Island at that, that point up against Will and or the two Wills, I should say. So beat those two guys to the podium. So those two races, I felt like I, I knew I, I could sort of, I could compete at the national level, I guess. And, and also... Obviously, Greg Ritter won the championship from Miguel in '99. They were looking at bringing out a new chassis for 2000. Uh, who would they put in it? And 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 luckily enough, I won those two races, and I think that got me onto to, to Peter McDougall's radar, and that got me, gave me the opportunity for a brand new chassis in 2000. Bit of an engine deal through through Greg's dad, uh, Bram. And, and we had a little bit of help through some of dad's sponsors, and, and managed to make it work. I mean, I, I I guess I was probably one of the last ones to win without the sort of backing like the kids have now like the sonics and you know massive multi-car teams and we just towed around on a trailer and a couple of mates and didn't really know what we're doing but we managed to, to pull it off <laughs> it was almost the case that yeah. um uh the way that racing unfolded back then has a very different feeling to the way that racing um at the development stages whether it's the i mean 2000 was the first year of v8 lights which is now super mm. blue i mean that stepped up uh, so far, and even if you look at Super 3, that's more advanced as to where the development series was when it first began. So we're in a very different um, world of motor racing now versus where we were all, you know, 20 years ago standing around in the pit lane. One of the races, yeah. you know, I'm interested to hear what is your standout memory from that championship winning year, but I vividly remember you and Owen Kelly, there's another guy who was fast that year, uh, yeah. going to the line at Phillip Island in one of the races at the Conica V8 Lights round, and the winning margin was something crazy, like 0 0.001 of a second. And there was like a, a, I think it was a lick of paint, really, that I can't even remember who won. Do you remember who won? Well, I, I finished second in both those races. because We actually went to Phillip Island twice that year because it was, uh, yeah. and we finished the championship off early because it was Sydney Olympics in 2000. So, um, but yeah, again, Phillip Island, one of those places in a Formula Ford, you, you know, you got to be the right place at the right time. It's like driving at Bathurst, you know what I mean? But I, I happened to be leading, I think, both races that, that, that year and, and, and yeah, I got towed past uh, Owen Kelly and then Rick Kelly. Uh, the, the, I'm pretty sure those two guys beat me to the line both times. But So I, I probably finished second the most that year. But, um, yeah, through through consistency, we, we managed to pull it all off, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And that's the same year that you get your first chance at a, a V8 supercar drive. So you pick up a gig with Larry Perkins in the second Castro car, which – he was famed for not running two cars. He would just put he and Russell into a car and then leave the other one parked for the, the two endurance races. But by that stage, I think Castrol's pressure had been enough that they wanted two cars. So they went for the, the young driver pathway. And, and it was Christian Murchison, I think, who was in Formula yeah. Holden at the time, who you, you guys drove together. But do you remember the first uh, chat with Larry, the first phone call, the first way that, that uh, how that all started to begin with? Yeah, it, it came probably through Peter McDougall as well because that, they were they were running it. So Perkins Engineering's running car for, for Dougal, the the Pepsi Commodore, and uh, I think it came about through that relationship. I'm not actually sure if Larry actually called me. I think it actually might may have even just come through Peter McDougall. But um, we, we got a test at Calder, uh, yeah, mid I guess mid 2000, and I tested against Nick Agland as well, which is another former Ford racer, really really good in go karts. Um, and probably didn't his, his his career didn't take off like like mine did I guess because it was just one of those sliding door type things I guess but we both I remember did exactly the same lap time at the test and 
I think what got me across the line was the fact that I work on my own cars and, and perhaps a relationship with the McDougals as well. So really lucky. And obviously winning the championship as well probably probably ticked the box. Yeah. What do you remember of your first Bathurst 2000? It was wet all week. It's probably still drying out up there. That's how wet it was in yeah. 2000. But what do you remember about that one? That was like the, the scariest introduction to supercars ever. That was like, it, like you said, it just literally rained all week. Um, and, you know, I'd been there in a Formula Ford, but like, you know, in a supercar. And, and, and it's not like, as you said, you, you alluded to earlier where, where the young kids are in Super 3, then Super 2, and, and they've got like a million miles in a V8 supercar before they even get to the main game. Whereas back then for us, you, you're, you're straight into Bathurst pretty much, or straight into the Queensland 500. So not a lot of experience in those cars and, and certainly none in the rain. So I remember asking Russell, I said, mate, are you holding it flat over these humps? And he's like, of course you are, idiot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm backing off over the humps. The thing's really loose, and it's like, Jesus Christ, these things are wild. So it, it was, it was, it was interesting. But um, I remember it dried up for qualifying, and and myself and Christian, we battled in the, in the dry because we just had no experience in the dry around there. I think we qualified 44th or something or something weird, but uh, we managed to drive through in the race, got up to fifth, and we probably actually would have finished fifth, but. Um, we, we broke a rocker or whatever it was uh, famously back then. So we would have would have finished top five debut, which would have been pretty cool against all the heavyweights too when obviously they could pair their, their lead drivers at that point. Yeah, th- those were the days, weren't they, where you didn't yeah. have to stay stuck in your own car and, and, and run with the co-driver. Yeah. So your momentum's solid. You've won the Formula Ford title, which at the time is a very prestigious award, and people are looking to that category for the next crop of kids. You get your opportunity in a, in a V8 supercar, and then what? 2001, what happens next? Is it a case of, well, I don't have any money. Um, I'm going to have to go beat on some doors to make some stuff happen here, or, or what happened next? Yeah, pretty much. Remember, Bathurst then was November because of their whole Super 2, whatever it was, Super Touring things, whatever it was. So we actually actually did the Formula Ford Festival in, in between Queensland 500 and Bathurst uh, in the ZTEC Formula Ford. So not a lot of people know that or remember that either. So I went, yeah. went across there, yeah, went across there, did that. Uh, did two rounds, did the, like, European national round, which I think we finished top 10, crashed out in the, in the actual festival itself and, and got offered a drive the next year, which for, for a lowly 150,000 pounds or something. That's all. Um, yeah, so which was like 300 grand at that point. So, yeah, obviously that wasn't going to happen for me. So, yeah, scrambled back home and lucky enough with, through the relationship with Perkins Engineering, we got the, uh, like a, a, an Astra pretty much to run in pro car. Um, a through A little production car. Production car, yeah. So they they ran them the year before. I, I got Greg Murphy's car, I think. So they ran, uh, they ran two cars. Uh, yeah, ran I think the, the three hour on the Saturday afternoon at Bathurst, and I think yeah, Murphy and Richo drove one of them, and Rick Kelly and Leanne Ferrier drove the other one from memory. That's right. Yeah. So I thought I'd be smart and take the black one, which is what um yeah, which Murphy and that drove. But actually, that wasn't the fastest one. The, the white one was the fast one, and. and <laughs> We only knew that when we when we tested both of them, and, and uh, another guy, Jim McKinnon, raced the other one, and uh, he was involved in that famous crash at Phillip Island Turn Two, where they all rolled it, um, I think, about 20 times. Uh, and then, from, luckily for me, we pulled all the bits out of that and ch- chucked it in my car, and we went a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that vision of him uh, barrel. Did he end up over the fence at Turn Two? I think he did. Yeah, yeah, it was a big, big crash, uh, big crash. But uh, it's unfortunate for him, but. Um, it was fortunate for me. I went along and won that championship. So in two years, I'd won two championships, raced at Bathurst, and, and we got the gig again for, for 01 in, in the second Perkins car with uh, with Macro. Yeah, that's right. So that Astra, was that a case of here's, the, here's a car, go run it yourself with your mates, or how did that work? Yeah, pretty much. We, we had a little bit of support back then from Morand Engineering, which was like a, an engineering company that worked with uh, like you know, manufacturing robots and things like that. So they, they gave me a little bit of money. And obviously Holden gave me the bits and the car, and they also gave me a tow vehicle as well. So they tried to help me out as best they could. So we had spare engines and little bits and pieces. So they really helped. So that was that was a great opportunity, which, you know, someone with no money, it sort of kept me involved and kept me current. We mentioned yeah. before the, the Steve Ellery racing era. So am I right in remembering that you and Owen Kelly went and tested with them? Was that late? Oh one, early oh two. Yeah, so late oh one. Um, it was pretty clear that uh, Perkins wasn't going to put two young blokes in again, 
And um, so we had to look for another opportunity, obviously. And, and it came about through Howard Marsden actually organised that test for me. So, uh, yeah, so you're right, myself and, and Owen Kelly tested. Uh, we we're both pretty close from memory. Um, I actually think Owen might have actually topped me in, in, in time, but I think I was probably a little bit more consistent than him. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what, what got me across the line, but I managed to get the gig, yeah. yeah. So is this a case of, congratulations, you're, you're fast enough, you're smooth enough, how much money have you got? Or is this a case of, no, 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 we want a young kid, pack your bags, you're coming up to, to have a run in the development series and you'll co-drive and do some testing, and that was the basic deal? Basically, yeah, yeah, which is totally unusual. It would never happen again. Yeah, yeah. So um, they got offered, yeah, move up to Queensland, a little bit of money to, to come and drive the car in the Enduros and, and yeah, as you said, do a bit of testing and work with the team. So I, I would work with the team in the morning. We would uh, train in the afternoon and, and then, um, yeah, just do whatever I could around the workshop. And I think you stepped into the development series partway in 02, but you did pretty much the full years in three and four. Um, yep. But that was obviously the, the AU was the older car, but you won Bathurst in 02 when the development series, uh, it wasn't around the championship, it was actually a non-points event, but it was a 30-lap Saturday afternoon race. It was like a, a full stint of the main race. So yeah. your strike rate's very good at the mountain very early. Formula Ford win, um, yeah. solid debut in 2000, uh, and then all of a sudden you're, you're rolling back up there grabbing another win. So you must be thinking, I'm... I'm definitely, definitely ready for the main game here, or was it a case of I'm close but I need some more? No, I think what, what helped me the most was 04 moving back to Melbourne and my brother Clint is a performance coach and, and he actually, I started working with him full time and, and he really showed me what it actually took um, to probably get the most out of myself. And, and that year, so by the end of 04, I, I knew I was probably pretty well prepared for it. And, and that's when the opportunities did arrive for me. Um, and so fortunately they didn't, didn't come about. So I guess what, yeah, I'm two minds about this whole main game thing, not getting a full-time gig. I, I think it's just, I'm a little bit disappointed about unrealized potential, I guess, you know what I mean? So I'm pretty sure I could match it with these guys if I was in a car all the time, you know what I mean? So, I mean, historically over 20 years, I've basically just turned up off the couch and, and been pretty close. So I'd like to think that if I did, you know, I was in a car every two weeks that I'd find those extra two tenths, you know what I mean? So that, that's probably what I'm most, most disappointed about. We'll get back to our chat in just a moment, but I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken a world leader in engineered bearings and power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and recognise their logo, but did you know that you're probably relying on Timken products whenever you fly? Timken products have been used since the early days of experimental aircraft flights at the turn of the 20th century, right through to the huge superliners that take us around the world these days. In fact, when your next flight comes into land, it's likely that its landing gear on the plane you're on contains Timken bearings. When a 500-tonne, yes, 500-tonne airplane, touches down on the runway, all of that load is transmitted to the ground through the landing wheels. And when those wheels touch the tarmac, they accelerate from zero to over 280 kilometres per hour in less than a second and experience temperature changes from sub-zero up at 30,000 feet to extremely high heat under braking on the runway. Each year, Timken's vast experience sees more than 12,000 product designs on more than 400,000 active planes, adding up to 1 billion safe landings and allowing 3 billion passengers to reach their destinations. We'll bring you more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Loop podcast this year. Now, it's back to our chat. One of the great periods of that super cheap era that you had with Steve Ellery up in Queensland was an amazing run in the Enduros in 2003. Uh, runners yeah. up at Sandown, third place at Bathurst. Uh, it was a single car team. I guess they had what maybe eight to ten staff at the time max. I mean, not even, not even Aaron. No, no. Yeah, six or seven maybe on a good day. Probably five full time guys and, and a couple of guys that had turned up. So there'd be yeah. I was, I was thinking about it the other day because I knew this would probably come up. So we had an engineer. An engine guy, um, you know, a, a sub-assembly guy, a mechanic, truck driver, 
you know what I mean? And then that's that was about it, you know what I mean? So, you know, and some some weekend warriors. So that, that, that were the good old days. You know, you'd buy a car from BHAG, uh, the chassis builder at that point. You could put an engine in it, and, and, you, and if you could have some engineering now, and some guys that could drive it, you'd actually go pretty well, you know what I mean? So um, it's, it's unfortunate it sort of grew beyond that because, um, yeah, they were, they were good old days, those ones. You know we're getting old when we're both starting to say those were yeah. the days. Huh? Yeah, I know, but that, that was an amazing run. That, I mean, that Sandown 03, that's when it hailed and I was in the car and I did most of the laps. Steve didn't want to get back in it. So <laughs> we're, we're lucky with strategy as well that we were on the lead lap and no one else could really pass us. And, and pretty much for me, I was just, you know, just driving around making sure I didn't throw it off. So, um, yeah, we, we sort of – we deserved it. Um, but, again, I've – at that point, I, I was still, I didn't really know what I was doing either. <laughs> I was just, I wouldn't say I was lucky, but I, I was lucky to keep it on track when it started snowing, that's for sure. It was a bit miserable day, the yeah. weather that yeah. day. I remember. But I also remember, yeah. was it Ian Wally Walburn on the, the, the radio at the end of that race, famously on the Vision? I remember it. They played the audio on Channel 10 saying, do you know where you finished, Lukey? You finished yeah. P2 to the mighty Holden Racing Team. But so you I had no idea where you were running. Did you not? No, no, I think they, they didn't want to tell me just in case I threw it off or did something stupid or whatever, you know what I mean? So I think they just wanted me to circulate. And, um, yeah, that was that was amazing to hear that. Like, that was just unreal. So uh, for a team like that up against those sort of heavyweights, and, and, again, back in the era where, you know, they could pair their, their, their lead drivers. And, and I'm probably proud the most of my career in that respect that a lot of the res- really good results I got were in that era where, you know what I mean? I, I was just turning up off the couch and, and competing against these blokes that were full-time. You had yeah. um, development series with Ellery for a couple of years there in the AU while they raced the, the newer BA. And yeah. you actually became part of, well, it's it's history for supercars because no one's done it before or since. You were part of a tie uh, for a series win, uh, mm. Andrew Jones in 2004, but he won on a countback because I think he yeah. won one more round from, from memory. So... Uh, yeah, you're finding a knack of writing history that you probably don't really have. <laughs> Thanks, Moons. Far out, I know. So, anyway. Uh. Hey, mate, it's better to be in the game and, and you know, equaling for a championship than finishing 10. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think it would have been a little bit different that year had we started off where it, with the car we finished with, you know what I mean? So, halfway through the year or pretty close after the first couple of rounds we got a new engineer bruce price um and he totally changed the car pretty much and and it really suited my driving style and and to be honest he's probably one of the best engineers i've ever worked with and and where even to this day wherever i go i try and get bruce to come along so uh, all of a sudden we went from qualifying second third row to, to qualifying on the front row and, and 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 winning races so it was it was yeah it was it was a shame that we didn't have that sort of car at the start because i think it would have been a little bit different the thing I remember too about that era was that was when, uh, what was it called? I guess it was the Konica series then, wasn't it? Um, yeah. They were standalone race meetings. They weren't generally a support at the main championship rounds. Maybe I think Adelaide started to become one, but yeah. otherwise they were standalone events and uh, they'd be the rounds where Formula Holden and Formula Ford and Porsche Cup and uh, the Konica series would, would run. No live TV. It was all post-produced on Trackside on Channel 10 in the weeks after, where a lot of racing fans saw a lot of you young guys make a name for yourselves and see what you look like for the first time. Uh, Very different time. I have great memories of those style of race meetings where there wasn't quite as much stress or um, analysis going on. There was no social media back in those days. Uh, It was a great way to go racing. Yeah, absolutely. We could just get on with the job. We went to sort of regional tracks as well, like Malala, Wakefield, those sort of places. So uh, I really enjoyed those times. And as you said, we were probably the, the main draw card. So we got the garages and we weren't stuck in the back paddocks, like, you, you know what I mean? So it was it, it was good. And, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed those times. Again, really, really small teams and really good atmosphere within, within the team and the crews. What about that first podium at Bathurst 2003? So you go from a second place at Sandown, and then you back it up with the third. If there was an Enduro cutback in those days, you would have been looking good. We would have smashed it, yeah. Um, never came close since. There's always been one good result and a few bad ones in the, in the same year, but that was awesome. I'll never forget that podium. That, that was uh, that was when Bathurst was still pretty wild, you know what I mean, where you, there was two things you wouldn't take at the top of the mountain, which your girlfriend and your car, because they just wouldn't be seen again, you know what I mean? So, 
Um, I mean, I, I was dodging, uh, you know, full beer cans and all sorts of things on that podium. So it was, it was, it was wild. You know, what I mean, so obviously being a Ford team at that point, or all the Holden teams would be throwing stuff at you, and they don't quite show that stuff on TV. Probably fortunately, but um, yeah, it, it was mega. So it's um, that podium there is like nothing else. And those were the days when an after party from the Bathurst One Thousand was a real after party. Yeah. I don't reckon they know how to after party anymore. I think you're right. I don't think I get any sleep that night. I remember trying to sleep in the truck on the way back, I think. That was about it. Yeah. Good parties. Holding parties, forward parties. They, they did it properly then, didn't they? Yeah, they did. There was always a bit of marketing money to go around on the bar, yeah. no matter yeah. which side had, had won either night. We talked about yeah. it before. Uh, so your time with Steve Ellery draws to a close. Um, super cheap moves to PWR Racing for Paul Wheel and yeah. Greg Murphy, who's their big big signing in Melbourne. Uh, yeah. Ellery's actually leave the championship as a, a team. They keep running in the development mm-hmm. series, but Steve goes to drive for Triple uh, Eight alongside yep. the new signing there, Craig Lowndes, who's still there, 15 years, and he's still there. Um, you said before about the deal to get to Stone Brothers and co-drive with Russell Ingle. How proud are you that your results and what you put together at Sandown and Bathurst helped him win his championship? Yeah, really proud. Yeah, I've still got a, a little plaque from from Russell with signed things saying thanks, mate. You know, I appreciate what you what you what you did to help me there. So um, it, it was good. I had a re- bit of a relationship, probably stemming back. You alluded to that race at, at Bathurst in '02, was it? That that one hour race, and that's I think I captured the attention of, of, of the Stone Brothers, and they actually were in talks a little bit over those next couple of years because I think they they wanted me to get into their cars at some point. So obviously this this opportunity um, came up again scrambling at the end of 04 to you know I lost two drives in the space of two months and, and lucky enough this opportunity came up so Ross was uh, awesome to deal with probably one of the best team owners I've ever had to deal with so um, I, I really loved that time and I probably still would have been there but the fact that I moved in 08 to FPR was was one of um, just the opportunity to qualify the car because I'd never be able to have that opportunity um, driving with with a lead driver, if you like, and and to try and make the next step again to try and go full time. I needed to show what I could do on a green tyre, uh, and that's the only reason I left. But um, yeah, I really loved that time working with Baz and, and Russell. It was awesome. So you, you you bailed on Stone Brothers to to leave to have, because at the time you could uh, pair up uh, <clears throat> guys together. So you could affect you effectively left so you could become the lead driver of the second FPR car for the endurance races. So you could yep. show your speed, which you, you couldn't qualify if you're the co-driver. So that's really the only reason why you left. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was speaking to other team owners at that point as well, and, and they said, look, you know, you, you guys, you know, like you, you, you can race well, but we never see what you can do on a tyre. We said, well, we never get a tyre. You know, I mean, the only time we get a, a greenish tyre is in the race, in the stints, and, and by then they've done a qualifying run anyway, you know what I mean? So you just never get that opportunity. So I felt like to make that one sort of large last-ditch effort to, to try and go main game and to show my raw speed, and, and that's that's the only reason why I left. Um, so, not, And obviously, I found my way back there in 2012 anyway. Um, but, yeah, that, that was... Uh, I mean, it worked. I got my opportunity to qualify, but it didn't, it didn't get me a main game seat. But, again, we came close beyond that, which we can talk about later. Don't <laughs> <laughs> worry. I'm nowhere yeah. close to getting through the notes here, my friend. Yeah, not even, yeah. Not even yeah. close. Stone Brothers in that era, of course, Ambrose won a couple of championships. Russell won in 05. It was a great era for that team. What were those yep. cars like to drive? Because they were probably the best Ford going around in that period. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but, but having said that, coming from the Ellery car in 04, where we were really, really quick, um, they weren't too different. Um, just, just a little bit different in the way they felt, but the actual speed of them was awesome. So probably pretty strong engines, you know what I mean? It's probably fair to say they had a pretty pretty good engine back then. So, um, you know, we were always, it was always nice to be there or thereabouts knowing you had an opportunity to win in those cars, which I've pretty, been pretty lucky over those years. I've, I've felt that pretty much every Bathurst I've gone to, I've, I've been, you know, there or thereabouts in terms of a result. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah, pretty lucky in that regard. Along the way, you were keeping your, your fingers in high in terms of the development series and doing some driving there. I think you, you filled in for Grant Denyer. You might remember your one time with Dick Johnson racing. You, uh, I did, yeah. 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 yeah, that was cool. We actually went pretty well there. I, we, had a, we had a qualifying crash, though, which is unfortunate. I, I actually hit Nathan Pretty 
we both zagged when one of us should have zigged. You know what I mean? So that was that was unfortunate. But um, yeah, we went pretty well. I, I, I can't remember if I actually won it or won. I, uh, I don't know. I finished up there. You were definitely on the podium. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool, just jumping in. So um, yeah, that, that was great working for Dick. You know, I just I remember him. I vividly remember him qualifying. Said, "Mate, don't don't try and go fast. Just let it let it come to you." You know what I mean? So um, yeah, thanks, Dick. <laughs> Um, I remember that there were – so in your period of Stone Brothers co-driving, which was 05 to 07 each time with Russell in the, the Caltex Haviland car, you were still yeah. trying to keep yourself busy. You've got to keep sharp. You can't just turn up um, in September at Sandown and, and be able to perform for the guy who's the reigning champion or about to, to win the championship. So I think you did yeah. a couple of more rounds in 06 in an old AU for Rod Dawson's team, which was an old Briggs car from memory, and then you – you had a year in 07 where you drove, I think it was an ancient DJR car with uh, HPM livery on it, and you won a reverse grid race at Winton, which is probably the greatest achievement that anyone's done in their whole V8 career. That that car <laughs> was by that stage mega old, and you won a race in it. That was a very interesting period, Aaron. That was... Uh, oh, that, that, well. Yeah, so that, that HPM deal, um, it, it, it looked bigger than what it ended up being, you know what I mean? So it was a massive two-car effort, you know what I mean? But, uh, again, the money wasn't there, which we, you know. Uh, so we had this, as you said, this old car, which, to be fair, wasn't prepared well enough. I remember first round Adelaide, we actually spent all night leading into practice just trying to get the car half straight. I remember coming out to pit lane, pressing the, uh, the, the, the pit lane off button, which ended up being a line locker and the car just ground to a halt. And just it was just bizarre, you know what I mean? So anyway, going back to that race at Winton, it was a wet race and, and this car had no power, it was soft. So it was like a jet in the rain. Like I just smashed them in the rain. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. But um, it, it was fair to say moving forward in that year, we weren't gonna, gonna do any, any, any good in that car again. So we ended up uh, leasing another car off at Evangelos. And um, we actually, again, I think we won Bathurst that year in that, right, in that car as well. And so, yeah, th- things, you know, again, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that since I think 04 was probably the last year I ever had a, a proper full-on assault where we did it properly, you know what I mean? So, again, it's just a bit of this, bit of that. It's just, we just could never quite put it together. One of the things I think a lot of people forget is that you did, you mentioned it before, the Porsche Carrera Cup in one of the VIP Pet Foods cars. So was that 06, I think, remember? No, that was 05. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so part of the, 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 the Ross and Jimmy Stone deal was the opportunity to drive with Quinny and um, because they were, they were quite close, factories just at the, across the freeway from each other. And, and I remember testing uh, again late uh, late 04 just to make sure that I was I could, I could drive something like that and did pretty well at a, at a, at a like a club race or something, and then they gave me the opportunity, and that was a pretty good deal. I, I, I my deal was basically front up with the insurance just in case you have a big crash, and, and the rest is covered. Which, you know, a mega deal. You, you never get that deal again. No, yeah, not many of those no. around. There, there wasn't many of them then, but there's definitely not many of them at all. No, no. It was, it was an interesting relationship with Quinny. You know, we went pretty well. I, I ended up taking him out, believe it or not, at, at the Gold Coast race under lights. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why I didn't get to drive for him again after that. But, um, again, that, that was an interesting period. I, I Actually, halfway through that year, we got a call-up to do NZV8s with a team called Autotech and Powerbuilt. Over in, over in Christchurch, New Zealand. So that, that was a, an awesome period as well. So we actually missed the final round of Carrera Cup to go and actually do that, uh, which, again, may or may not have contributed to me not getting the Carrera Cup drive again in 06. But, uh, again, the deal was in place to go Carrera Cup racing in 06. It was getting closer and closer to, to March or February when the first round was. And, like, Quinny, uh, we're going to go testing because this, this round's coming around pretty soon. He's like, oh, yeah, be meaning to tell you you're, you're out, you know what I mean? So, and then happened to be Bairdo again. They got the drive. And I've only approached this uh, with Bairdo like recently, actually. He, he had no idea. He had no idea. So he's like, oh, sorry, mate, blah, blah, blah. But um, it just, just really happened to be Bairdo both times. <laughs> There's a trend. Yeah. Keep an eye on yeah. you. Keep an eye yeah. on you. Yeah. Um, that mention of the Porsche, actually, a note that I hadn't made, but it, it reminds me because it popped up recently. Uh, I think we all probably look at you as for your supercars and your V8 stuff, but you've done a lot of 
GT stuff, particularly more recent times in the 12-hour and stuff like that. But I'd completely forgotten you were part of the driver lineup in that Lamborghini Diablo at the Bathurst 24-hour yeah. with Pete Hackett and the late great Alan Simonson, who we all greatly miss, uh, and, and Paul Stokel as well. So you, you've had a bit of a go in just about everything. Yeah, and funnily enough, that's uh, 04 was another one of those deals that sort of went south as well because uh, the re- whole reason we went back to Melbourne in 04 was to actually drive full time for that team for Lamborghini. You know what I mean? We're going to do a yep, we're going to do a full car. Well, sorry, two car assault with Stokel in one car, myself in the other. And I spent uh, the first half of uh, well, first little bit of 04 trying to you know work on a car. I remember we stripped them and sandblasted and did all that stuff. But um, yeah, that all came about through that relationship in 03 uh, for, with Bathurst. So that was awesome. Obviously driving with Simonson, um, actually shared a room with him, got to know him pretty well, and uh, that was an interesting experience. First time in a, in a GT type car, first time in a left hand drive car, and and. Um, all my stints were in the pissing down rain in the dark, so it was awesome. <laughs> like, I love um, yeah, but uh, again, unfortunately, we, di- we didn't get that deal across in 04 because, uh, you know, some things were promised to us, like like motor racing, you know, things are promised that never really happened. So um, anyway, that's, that's another story. Oh, um, that, and that's what yeah. we're here to do is tell these yeah. stories. Mate. So don't yeah. worry, there's, there's plenty more yeah. stories. Um, I remember too that through uh, the end of 06, there was a test at Winton where yourself, Nathan Pretty, yeah. uh, and Andrew Jones all drove the, the Tasman car that Jamie Winkup was vacating because he was off the Triple Eight with uh, uh, in Queensland the following year. And there was, in essence, a, a test to help determine who would end up with the drive. Andrew ended up with it to team up with Jason Richards. Uh, yeah. Do I have a, a memory correct that? you or maybe it was one of the other drivers, maybe it was Nathan, I can't remember, didn't feel like there was ever really a chance that anything else was going to happen out of that? Yeah, I think Nathan and I probably both felt that, you know what I mean? So, um, I mean, Andrew, he's really quick. He's, he's based around there, did a million miles around there. Yeah, I, I didn't think there was any other way it was going to happen, to be honest. But um, I, I had some some quiet satisfaction when I drove past him at Bathurst that, that year. <laughs> he doesn't know that, but uh, I'm actually really good. I'm actually really good mates with Jonesy. Like he's 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 one of the, the, the great guys in motorsport and very underrated as well. You know what I mean? So um, he got his opportunity though, which I'm shitty about. <laughs> Can you tell? But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it didn't happen that way, but. You know, he certainly smoked us there on the test, but um, I think he probably should have as well. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, he'd done, he'd done a million miles around there in those cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, um, in this whole period, in that, that time frame, so we're mid-2000s, we're in a late 2000s, um, FPR uh, drive, which you alluded to before, why you decided to move on from Stoney's, uh, I think you and Dean Canto teamed up there one year and, and you were with Hennebottom yep. down the track, and then the rules changed, so... Suddenly, the the importance of a co-driver went through the roof because you weren't allowed to team your main guys anymore. So I heard of some impressive numbers, and we won't talk numbers, but as a co-driver at the time, did that rule change suddenly make things bigger and better in co-driver land because there was more importance placed on getting the best blokes available? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our, our money doubled overnight, which was awesome. <laughs> so that's, that's, yeah. So, uh, but, but it gave, probably gave myself and guys, Canto and those sort of guys uh, an opportunity, which, you know, um, because we were experienced and we were, and we could just jump in and do the job, I guess. So, um, that, that, that really, really helped us, I think. Yeah. So uh, I, I like that period. Yeah. My first year was with, with Winterbottom and uh, then Will Davison and it just goes on from there. So I had some pretty mega teammates from then on. You yeah. drove, when I looked through the list, I mean, you drove for, Pretty much every top team that there was. I mean, between uh, obviously Ellery's was a, a decent team. Uh, yep. The time at Stone Brothers, you had two periods at Stone Brothers because you went back there later on. Uh, some time at Brad Jones, a year at DJRT in Penske, obviously Erebus in recent times, Larry Perkins back in the day, uh, SBR. Yep. Uh, you, you covered some a fair bit of ground there. Uh, there was probably only really Walkinshaw's Triple Eight. Um, yeah, the main ones that you, you you never had a crack at, but you pretty much <laughs> got to go everywhere. Yeah, and, and I probably could have gone triple eight, no five as well. So oh, I remember, tell more, yeah. tell more. Well, I, I got a phone call uh, again. Yeah, late oh four. Um, 
Campbell Little was an engineer at the time and basically said they're interested in, in, in looking at me. But at that point, I was, I was fairly way down the track with Stone Brothers and, and I felt like I'd made the commitment to them. So uh, I, I couldn't sort of back out of it, basically, nor that I think that I want to. You know, I, mean, I, th I thought probably at that point Stone Brothers was probably a better fit. But yeah, as you said, yeah, um, Triple Eight. And again, I, I, tr I tried to go back with them years later, of course. So um, uh, I, I was... I don't know. A lot of these teams entertain you. I, I don't know if it's uh, you know if if they're actually really serious about it or not. But they, they a lot of these teams say, oh, yep, you're on the short list. We're looking at you and a couple of other blokes, um, and and that never happens. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I've, I've been on lots of those short lists apparently. Yeah, allegedly. Yeah, not that yeah. probably admit it to you. Uh, had yeah. you on the list. Uh, yeah. That, that FPR period, uh, you had. Um, as you said before, some time with Frosty, some time with Will Davison, some time with yep. uh, Dean Canto. What's the standout memory result for you from your, your time with FPR? Uh, I, I really enjoyed all of it. I mean, I had a lot of podiums there with, with Will and with Frosty. I think um, probably the best result, and I felt like I probably drove the best, was uh, 2010 Gold Coast 600, the second race. Uh, that, was, that was that race where... Uh, I, I crashed the day before with, with Villeneuve and he actually crashed into me, I believe, but I got in a lot of trouble from that because, you know, at that point, I think they were, they were pretty quick to throw me under the bus, both both Frosty and Campbell Little. And, um, yep, yep, so I was a little bit disappointed about that. But uh, the next day we redeemed ourselves anyway. So, But it was one of those stops where we actually double stacked behind the Richo and Will Power car. And I'm not sure if you remember, but Will Power was, wasn't ready. So they, they actually pitted Richo. Trying to find his gloves and all yeah, sorts Yeah, so I'm stuck behind him going, what the hell's going on here? So we, we ended up coming out last or something. And, and anyway, we drove through the pack and finished second, I think, on the podium. So that was, that was pretty mega. So, uh, you know, I'm probably most proud of that. Um, you know, there's 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 a couple of things I'm probably not proud of. You know, there was there was that that uh, 2011 Bathurst crash in, in Will's car after the safety car restart, and and I, I think we probably cost us a genuine chance at, at a win there because the car was mega, and um, yeah, that was just a, a mistake on cold tyres at the restart that that sort of paid to that. And what about uh, 2010? I remember at the was there a tyre that let go at you in Foster's car up towards the yep. cutting with about half race distance right rear that. Put you up in the in the wall for a yeah. minute. Yeah, so I, I remember I radioed to Campbell. I think turn one that lap. I said, "Mate, there's something something's not right with this thing." You know what I mean? So I could feel something not right, and I was I think I was a little bit cautious through turn two, but then as I turned into the cutting, it just let go, and and um, yeah, it's, it's it, it wasn't my fault, but again, it just a couple of those little crashes added up to you know it just it, it wasn't good it wasn't a good period you know after that I guess so. So is that a case that that's why late 2011 they decided that you weren't coming back or did you decide you weren't coming back? Well, I'm still waiting on a phone call for either way, you know what I mean? So that's, that's <laughs> haven't heard yet, you know what I mean? So I'm still waiting on the phone call whether or not you're driving or not. So that, that happens a lot. It's probably one of the most disappointing things about our sport that uh, a lot of team owners over the years just either haven't had the balls or, 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 or not just to say, look, mate, you know, it's not working out, or thanks for your thanks for your work, but we're we're, we're looking in another direction, or something like that. So, quite often, you just literally don't hear anything. Um, they don't return don't return calls or whatever, and then you, there's a point in the year where you're going to go, well, obviously they don't want me, so I've got to start pressing on for new opportunities. So, um, yeah, still waiting on that one. Uh, okay. Uh, yep. Sit by the phone. Um, yeah. Yeah, probably, probably not going to happen if it hasn't. <laughs> you're right, though. It, it is a thing in motor racing, and and from a <clears throat> perspective, and whether you're a driver or uh, a media operator trying to land a TV gig or a job at a magazine or whatever, I've, I've experienced that as well. Where, uh, yeah. and I think it's predominantly because um, people don't like doing confrontation. But I think you will always, and you probably agree, um, you would rather get the phone call to say, "Luke, sorry, mate." We're going to go and sign someone else, or uh, we weren't really happy with what you did here or there. We're going to go another way, but thank you for your, your efforts. We just yep. thought we'd let you know, and then you know where you're at. And we're all big yep. kids here, and we get on with life. 
that's that's all I ask. You know what I mean? Because you just hang on to that glimmer of hope that you're still there, um, and another opportunity might pass or whatever. So uh, I, I learned pretty quickly to to go down the avenue of all opportunities and, and you know, um, just in case something. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the most disappointing thing about our sport, as you said, that they, they don't want to have that confrontation. But it's, it's all you ask. Look, mate, we're moving on, pressing on and do something. That, that whole leaving FPR was a bit weird because they, they would actually exercise the right to your contract at the start or the end of September. Um, so, like, the year before, you'd get a note before Bathurst saying, yes, we're exercising the right to continue. You know what I mean? So, um, in in 2011, you know, I, you know, we got pole position at at, at at Phillip Island with Will. I led most of my stint, um, and we got a podium at Phillip Island. So that was September. So I thought well, there's probably not much else I can do moving into October to you know to, to lose the drive, I guess. But Bathurst came around, no no contract, and then yeah, obviously nothing from there. So um, anyway, disappointing. Yeah. By that point, mate, are you at the point where you have become content? Well, not content, but you're resigned to the fact that a full-time gig's not going to happen. That you are uh, very much an experienced go-to endurance driver who can command a, a decent number, given that rules change and your experience level at the time. Have you pretty much by that point gone? You know what? I know my place in this whole supercar pit lane, and I can I can deal with it and make it work to my advantage. Yeah, it's probably about that time, I think. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I, try, I made things work outside of racing as well. By then, I was heavily involved with Porsche driver training, Audi driver training. Um, did some pretty cool things that you know, full-time drivers don't get the opportunity to do. So, um, and, and moving forward, that's that's probably my path after racing as well. So, I don't regret any of that. But um, yeah, I, I, you know. You said a bit of a badger on. I just turn it up and 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 being able to do the do the job and and getting it done. Yeah. Am I right in my little memory here that it's around? Although that FPR period uh, had some success on the track, and ultimately you're still waiting for the phone call to tell you that it's over. Some <laughs> later. Is that yeah. around the time? Is that around the time where you meet the ladies now your wife? So Frosty was. Uh, yep. He was he was the uh, instigator in that relationship, I guess. So, um, oh, he was the matchmaker. He was a matchmaker. Yep, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, so that was 2010 that I met Stacy, my wife. So the end of, end of 2010, and then he put us together. So um, she she knew Frosty through his work through Castrol at uh, the driving center where she works. So she worked for Paul Morris. Actually, still does. She's there today, actually. So. Um, so yeah, they 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 put, he put us together and, and yeah, it, it couldn't be more perfect. Like Stace is obviously involved in motorsport and um, yeah, she gets it and and I'm really lucky to have her and and and, and she, yeah, it's probably the best thing that, that probably happened to me in that period of time was was having a, a supportive partner, I guess. And 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 it's a shame that I didn't meet her ten years earlier because I think I probably would have had a main game drive uh, just with the support that she gave me. But um, anyway, it's. Turned out okay in the end. Well, worked out okay. Got some trophies at FPR and ended up yep. being wife. So successful. Yeah. Look, I, I really love my time at FPR. You know what I mean. So the opportunity to work with Dino, Frosty, Will, um, Richo. You know, they, they were really, really good times. They're really good guys in in, uh, in that team and in motorsport in general. They're, they're all like-minded people. You know, all, all the guys within every team I've driven for are all you know awesome guys you know what I mean so um, uh, you know I don't hold any bad feelings towards any team that I've they've let me go or haven't let me go so that's part one of our chat with Luke Yulden on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken click and check out part two where he talks about winning co-driver races at Sandown his time with Fabian Coulthard at Brad Jones Racing and DJR Team Penske, how he thought his supercar's career was over and then went on to win Bathurst with Erebus, and Luke answers your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and tackles the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. Don't forget to visit our bookshop, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au for all the latest in publications. Uh, Not too far away, our new Bathurst 12-hour book, Going Global, will be out in the middle of August and our new Holden book, Racing the Lion, around the same time as well. Get your orders in and make sure you don't miss out on those. Head to the website, v8sleuth.com.au for all sorts of articles and information and you can sign up there to our newsletter, 
Follow us on social media. You know all the places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. In the meantime, though, it's a sign-off from episode 57, would you believe? We're punching them out. Uh, make sure you tune in for episode 58, part two of Luke Yildon. In the meantime, though, I'm Aaron Noonan. This is the VH Luke Podcast, powered by Timken. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.